Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. This is episode 55. I'm Christina Suzuma, your host for this program. Thank you so much for joining me again as I continue to explore the wonderful world of healing arts, meditation, therapies, and the many modalities of helping each of us find balance in our individual journeys. We're always excited to meet those who are on the leading edge of creating change on this planet. Now, at any time during this live presentation, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Be sure to click submit so it will show up on my screen and I will share it with our guests. Or if you prefer to ask your question or make your comment directly to our guests, you are more than welcome to dial into our conference line, which is 323-476-3672. And the ID number is 607-393-POUND. And just in case that went by a little too fast, not to worry, it will show up on the screen during this uh, chat that we're going to have today. Uh, today is uh, a very powerful day. We are going to be speaking on issues that every female has to deal with sometime in her life. Um, very few uh, that I know of, anyway, some that we've heard of you know, really gets away unscathed by this. And it is speaking about our menstrual cycles um, or in some forms in yoga terms, it's like the time, It's I do believe it's called like the moon cycle. Today we are very honored to have with us a very special guest who has focused and dedicated her time to support individuals and communities throughout the world to find balance in this area whether it be personal or as a group, um, I would like to very much welcome Nicole Jardim, who is a holistic health coach. Hello, Nicole. Hi, Christina. Thank you so very much for having me today. Well, thank you for joining us. I mean, we did postpone it once and we got it going today. <laughs> Yay for that. Bravo <laughs> for us. <laughs> It's amazing we how here. we're just talking about live production and how, you know, the ins and outs. And last week when we were trying to get you on, the internet was so bad that we <laughs> chose to postpone it because who would not want to see this beautiful face? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to turn bright red now. Uh, see, that's, that's the problem with live production. <laughs> see everything. <laughs> oh, that's good. Natural blush, we call it. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Thank you so much, though. I'm really, really happy to be here with you guys. Well, we're very excited because we know that you're you're friends with a, a very dear faculty member of ours and uh, yes. whom we cannot wait to get her on this show as well. And Absolutely. her name is Jane Foodie, right? Yes, Jane is amazing. I actually uh, did a yoga teacher training with Jane in about four and a half years ago. So it was it was an incredible experience, totally life changing, and and then she just randomly emailed me the other day, and I was like, sure, I would love to be a part of this. This is so awesome, fabulous. You yeah. see, it's the web of life. We all get connected, you know. I know it's the coolest thing ever. It's totally the universe. It's an amazing place. Yes, it, absolutely. And I always say, put it out there, and it'll come back. You know, it oh, will for come. sure. And people of like mind always come together in some shape or form. There's no doubt. I know. It's so true. It's so proven true for me. Nicole, you know, if you could share, I know that I have your bio and everything, but I really love for our guests to share from, you know, their mouths to, um, mm -hmm. to our communities, what your background, like what your history was and what brought you to the place that you're at right now? Oh, it's a long story. <laughs> That's good. Of course. I can't <laughs> Those are the most time. interesting. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Uh, you know, honestly, a lot of this started in my teenage years. I was that girl who was constantly having period problems. And, uh, and I used to look at all my friends and they never really had any issues. And I was convinced there was something seriously wrong with me, as I think most teenage girls are these days, which is really unfortunate. Uh, but for me, it, you know, it, it all started out okay. And then progressively over time got worse. And so by the time I was 17 or 18, 
2018, uh, you know, I wasn't getting my period for three or four months at a time. And I know a lot of young girls can relate to this and conversations I've had with them now, they, you know, a lot of women aren't getting their periods for various reasons. And, uh, so for me, that was, that was a major, major problem. And so finally, I mean, I had thought initially that it was normal and I was like, Oh, you know, whatever, I'm a teenager, it'll work itself out. And when it didn't and started to get progressively worse, I decided that I needed to go see the doctor. So I did. And, you know, within a moment, she prescribed the pill for me. And, uh, and so I was on the pill for years because that was what I was told I needed to do in order to, uh, get my period and regulate my hormones. And, uh, and so it wasn't until my early twenties that I realized that the pill was having a lot of uh, negative effects on my body and my, my state of mind and my physical body. And I thought, okay, this can't be right. And so for me, I, I thought, okay, I have to try something different. And so I ended up randomly seeing an acupuncturist by a friend's referral. And within an hour, he had changed everything for me. I realized that, you know, the food I eat and the way I take care of myself, all of these things have a profound effect on my menstrual health. And, uh, and so that was the catalyst and that was the turning point. And so I was in college at the time and I started seeing this acupuncturist, like I said, and, and so he slowly but surely was influencing me in a positive way and telling me what I needed to be doing. And so I started making changes and I started to see uh, big results. I came off the pill. I, uh, you know, I, I started to get, I got my period again regularly. And like I said, prior to that, I wasn't getting it for three or four months at a time. So I, and I didn't know what was wrong. Uh, and it wasn't until probably like my maybe 24, 25, that things started to really regulate. And I was back to normal again, normal. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, and then I got into TV production. And uh, if there is anything that's unfair to someone's personal life, it would be that business. <laughs> I, I, right? I'm sure you can relate. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I loved it. It was what I wanted to do from since the time I, I can remember. I was probably maybe 14 or 15 and, and TV and film was it. And I thought, okay, I've made it. I'm working on TV, MTV, video music awards. I'm doing all these cool things. And I thought, okay, like I can, I can totally rock this, except I couldn't <laughs> over time, all of this hard work that I'd been doing in my early twenties to start to address my underlying hormonal issues was uh, being unraveled. And I was, you know, waking up at four in the morning to go to shoots. I was eating copious amounts of sugar and bad food and, and working, you know, 16 hour days, all of these things obviously take a tremendous toll on our delicate hormonal balance, especially women, just because we're much more prone to stress or the effects of stress than men are just because of the way our bodies are made. I mean, we're made to make babies. So we have a lot more hormonal interplay happening. Uh, so for me, it was, it was pretty detrimental. And so over time I ended up falling right back into this place of really painful periods and, uh, and heavy periods that would, you know, just keep me home, knock me out. I remember laying like under my desk on a location shoot one day. <laughs> I, was, I was just, I felt like I was falling apart. It was, it was not pretty. So I realized slowly that this industry was, was probably not for me. And I literally changed my career direction completely. And so that, that was what led me into health and wellness. I, you know, I already had this background where I knew what was good for me and I wanted to explore further. And so that's what I did. I decided to go to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And then I ended up, um, you know, furthering my women's health training with a, of an apprenticeship and now I'm continuing doing a one-year training program uh, to learn more about hormonal health and how to address underlying hormonal imbalances. And so that's really how I got here. It's been quite a journey. And talk about when you change careers, and maybe you can relate to this, but it's night and day, and uh, and understanding that you have to actually slow down and take care of yourself. That was. That was never an option for me, and uh, at least in film production. And so, I, it's just been a it's been a, a major transition, and but a good one. And so that's how I how I got to this point where I'm at right now, helping helping ladies heal their hormones. Mm, that's <laughs> as you were telling your story. I thought, wow, can I ever relate to that? <laughs> Yeah, right. I figured you probably could. Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, and it's so funny, you know. Well, 
especially in, I, I do believe my generation, you know, uh, what's interesting was, was uh, people didn't talk about this. Like, like women didn't talk about their cycles. It's a little bit better now. And, and uh, I know we had pieces of it in school, but mm-hmm. even with moms and daughters, it's almost like mom's the word. We're not going to talk about this or until oh. it comes. <laughs> I know. And then it's just crisis. You know, I it's know. like, oh. And I find that so unfortunate. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, I mean, I feel like there are many cultures that really celebrate uh, a girl's first period. There are a lot of um, of cultures around the world who, uh, you know, the, the girl goes through all of these different um rituals and all these other things. And I just really appreciate that. I, I think that, that, that it starts off in a really positive way. Whereas for many girls nowadays, it starts off in a really negative way. And so you, you start anything in a bad mind with a bad mindset and you're just going to carry that on. And so I think that that is a major problem for a lot of us today in, in Western culture. we just don't, we don't celebrate it. It's not a positive experience by any means. Yes. Well, it's not just, I mean, it's not just a woman's menstrual cycle that we don't celebrate. Even right. even uh, uh, pregnancy, all the way oh, to yeah. pregnancy. It's like, oh, I mean, the first thing, oh, you're pregnant. And the first thing is everything negative comes out of people's mouth. It's like, oh, well, what are you going to do when you're about to labor? And are you going to have this? It's like, whoa, whoa, slow down. <laughs> this is supposed to be a really beautiful moment. Don't spoil it for me. I, I, I do believe Absolutely. as a society... We have created so much fear, you know, mm-hmm. fear around this. It's like, oh, you have your period. Now you're going to have cramps and now you're going to, it's like, whoa, it doesn't you have know. to be like that. You know? <laughs> I, I totally agree. And that's the problem though, is that we've come to this place of understanding that it is this way and everyone just sort of accepts it as their lot in life. And I just think that's really unfortunate. I just don't understand how we've gotten to the point where uh, it is. It's, it's, there is nothing sacred or beautiful or good about our menstrual cycles or pregnancy or really even being a woman, actually. <laughs> uh, and it's really unfortunate. I, I think I wanted to, I just, my goal is to really shift that conversation. And that's what I could, I could do with my clients just because uh, we need, we need to have more of that positive conversation happening. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, it's about creating the awareness out there and, and, you know, and sometimes it's uh, speaking to the parents is one thing, and then but speaking to the young girls, the teen teens, yeah. and the you know the school systems, the educational system, and actually bringing it forward is so important if we can get it to that stage. <laughs> For sure, I know. I wish. I know. I I feel like you know, I wrote this on my website, if I'd had a health coach or somebody guiding me at the age of 17, it would have completely changed the trajectory of my life. I mean, I feel like I would have known, it would have been completely different. I just, I wouldn't have done half of the things I did. I wouldn't have gone on the pill. I wouldn't have eaten the way I was eating. I would have worked out more. I would have just taken care of myself in a completely different way if I'd been shown or given the tools to do that. And and that's, you know, every young girl I can get my hands on, I'm just like, I'm going to teach you, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. But, you so. know, it, it, I mean, when I think about it, it starts even well before 17, because I was put on the pill when I was 13. Oh, exactly. You yes. know, when I was 13, to regulate everything, because my cycles were so strong in the means of it, it was, I wouldn't get up in class. I would, oh. everyone would leave for recess so that I could go to the washroom and clean up because it was that bad. So what happens, you go on the pill, get things regulated, you know, like you, and the next thing you know, it starts creating all this other havoc that Absolutely. we have no idea. We have no idea what it does from a very early age, you know. Mm-hmm. I know. I agree completely. I mean, we're putting these girls on the pill who are so young, they, their bodies are absolutely still developing. They have many more years to go. And, uh, and we have no idea what we're doing. We're stunting that. And so many women who have spent a, a long period of time on the pill, they lose their libido completely because these, especially the low dosage pills, they give you a very low amount of estrogen and testosterone, sometimes just not enough for some of our bodies. We need more and we're not getting more. And uh, so it completely kills our libido and uh, and causes a lot of other issues like things like joint pain. I had a lot of physical pain, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of stomach issues. 
So things like that happen and, and we have absolutely no idea why. And there's nothing, we're not told about it. And it's not really written on, on the, the piece of paper that comes with the pill either. So oh, maybe not now in, in, <laughs> in my day, the print was really fine yes. and they were like little about four or five pages worth of the print. Oh, right. Well, yes, I suppose there is. It's just who's reading it. I know. <laughs> That's the point. Is that you, is, the you, you're, you're hoping that your doctor is prescribing something that will make you feel better, right? And that yeah, will exactly. do you good. It does initially. That's, you know, it's yes. great. Yeah, you feel like a million bucks. But, but then... But Nicole, so it, it all comes back down to, to as well, the parenting. I mean, yeah. why didn't... Why wasn't the conversation between mother and daughter first? You know, you know, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I have this, you know, I've had this conversation with my mom just in terms of understanding what the last generation was like, and it isn't, these are not things that were discussed at all. And, uh, and for me, I, you know, we had a little bit of a conversation and, and I got a book, which was very informative. Uh, but it is, it just isn't, I think that there's, again, it's, it's our society. It's something that has been, it's so taboo and, uh, and we're only now coming out of that and, and starting to have these meaningful conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's quite amazing. I I know that some, some of my friends sort of, I I have a son and he Mm -hmm. is six years old and he is already learning about a woman's menstrual cycle. And part of it is because I said, you know, really? it's about, it's about, he will get to an age where he's going to honor it and he's going to be compassionate about it as opposed to, you know, you know what happens in school. We were all there. Yes. And it's so traumatizing. I can totally relate to the, I can't get up right now. I got to wait till everybody leaves the room kind of thing. It's horrifying yes. for a 13 or a 14 year old. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. So if we, it's not just about educating the young girls, but why is it so wrong? This is a fact of life. Why aren't we mm-hmm. educating the young boys? And I just, basically I was doing, I'm doing a bit of a test. Because I don't know of a lot of parents who will teach their sons, quote unquote, about a woman's menstrual cycle. He's seen it all his life. It's never Mm -hmm. been hidden from him. He knows exactly what to do. If I go, oh, you know, I've forgotten my tampon. Can you go run up and get one? Yes, mommy. And he'll run up and get it for me. And he'll he'll even get to the point where he'll look at me and go, mommy, are you feeling okay today? You know, it's about compassion and he understands, you know, it's like, it's not a bad thing, but it is something that does happen. And yes, we do get tired now and then. And yet some of us, some days we get more energized, you know, some days our flow is heavier than others. And to me, it was basically a test. What would happen if my son grew up understanding this? What would happen? And I'm, I'm waiting to see what happens, do you know, as the years go on and, peer pressure and things in school and, and just to understand that. Mm -hmm. So if I can be teaching my son that even at six years of all his life till now he's six, what about the parents out there who have little girls? Do you see, why are we still hiding it from the girls? Why are we still uh, concealing it? You know, it's like, Oh no, it will happen when it happens. Right. (laughs) I cannot agree with you more. I think it's an incredible experiment that you're doing. I can't wait to see how it pans out. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I know. I think it's it's so amazing. I I honestly don't know anybody else who's doing what you're doing. And, uh, and I, I think it's so commendable and I, you know, again, it, why should it be strange and weird? And I just, I think it's amazing. I really do. I love that. Well, it's a a part of life. So, so, you know, the more I do believe, uh, they understand it makes it easier for us later and easier for them. Right. Mm-hmm. So I know. Exactly. <laughs> it so, won't be this like minefield that they're trying to navigate later on. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we have a question that just came in. Uh, oh, does yeah. Nicole engage large groups in the community? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I do, I do group programs. So I, I have a group program running right now. And, and so I do those three to four times a year, but I haven't, and, and I, I've spoken in at a number of events and things like that in New York city, but nothing, I, there's not like a massive large group that I'm speaking to. Why, why do you want to have me come talk to you? <laughs> that might be it. Definitely. The, that the question that comes back out to 
out there is, uh, would you like uh, Nicole to speak for you <laughs> in your yeah. community? We could I always know. do it through Skype to. like we are now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't know. I live for Skype. <laughs> it, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, totally. um, so, Nicole, as far as like uh, um, PMS is concerned, um, mm-hmm. premenstrual syndrome for, for some of uh, our listeners that might not be getting the gist of that. Yeah. Um, what, what is, I mean, it's, it's such a common word now. Oh, you know, PMS, PMS. Oh yeah. PMS. Oh yeah. yeah. Going through PMS. Oh, you know, it's so yep. common now. <laughs> I know it's like a verb, a noun and an adjective. <laughs> yes. Uh, tell us Literally. a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit about what, what to become aware of or how to prevent Absolutely. it to the levels that it gets to. Oh, for sure. I mean, it is, uh, it's, it's rampant in our society. And, uh, unfortunately that's, we were talking about having that conversation as it spanned beyond the PMS jokes, so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think we're getting there, but, uh, it is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a syndrome essentially. And we've got emotional symptoms as well as physical symptoms that come with it. And, uh, and for the most part, I think something like 85% of women will deal with some kind of PMS symptoms at some point in their life. For many women, it's chronic and, uh, and they don't feel like there's any relief, but there really is. I mean, so when we talk about PMS and we talk about emotional symptoms, so we're talking about things like anxiety and panic and depression. A lot of women say they have a mini depression at a, you know, a week before their cycle starts. And, um, and then in, on a physical level, there's, you know, there's weight gain, there's a bloating, there's acne, uh, there's all, you know, all kinds of stuff happens. Uh, a lot of women say to me, they can't even walk in in front of a sugar or the bakery or like the bakery aisle (laughs) at that time of the month, because their sugar cravings are so crazy. So there are a lot of, and a lot of the time we're told, Oh, this is in our heads and that kind of thing. But there is such a major hormonal cascade happening, uh, in your body at this time of the month. It, It most definitely is not in your head. So if anybody tells you that it is, it most definitely is not. I mean, technically it is in your head and that's affecting your physical body. So if you want to put it that way, uh, so what happens is for many of us, we're, we're chronically stressed. And, uh, and when our bodies are in that alarm mode or that chronic state of chronic stress, we, uh, we produce a lot of cortisol. And cortisol, as some of you may know, is the stress hormone. And so we're going to produce cortisol to meet our stress demands at all times. It's almost like the, uh, it's the dominant hormone, so to speak. And once we have chronically high cortisol levels, we're going to, it actually suppresses the production of our vital sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. And, uh, and so this cortisol is just going to continually be produced if we're in this chronic stress. So ultimately it's a matter of dealing with our, the stress, the causes of stress in our lives. And I know that that's very broad and generalized, but really and truly, if we, if we can get our cortisol levels under control, then we are going to be able to address the physical and the emotional symptoms that we're dealing with. Because at the end of the day, those are just caused by out of whack hormones. And so it's a matter of getting cortisol in check. And then, uh, once that happens, then we start to, we are, we start to see a leveling out, a balancing out, a recalibration almost of our, our sex hormones. Mm, mm. Mm. So, so what would, okay. So that's stress, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. I can see it with teenage girls, you know, with their exams and things like that, peer pressure, yeah. you know, yeah. pressure at home, <laughs> teenage life. What can we oh, I know. Don't um, take me back there ever. <laughs> I, I know. When people go, don't you want to be a teenager? Go, no, no. And then oh, of boy. course, when we come into the, I mean, college students, same thing. It's yeah. you know the stress of studying and then and partying, peer pressure, still the same, same old. And, and then we get into our adulthood where we're actually out there and working and mm-hmm. having to pay rent and et cetera. Oh, bills. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, and more and more so for women today, because I, I think it was very different uh, 30, 40 years ago 
for as, sure. You know, now is is usually uh, uh, you know is a working household now. Everyone right. <laughs> is working in some way. So so those levels get um, you know the stress levels really come on. Um, is that would you say stress is one of the main factors that you've seen that creates this high level of cortisol? Yeah, I mean that and you know it's not only there's not only like the mental and emotional stress there's also the physical stress. So when I talk about that I'm talking about the food that we're consuming, the things that we do have control over because sometimes we don't have control over you know the city that we live in or our environment our home environment sometimes that's not controllable but everything that we eat we definitely do have control over it and so when we're consuming food that is uh, high sugar so lots of sugary foods or highly refined food it causes our adrenal glands again to produce cortisol because it, it creates a stress response within our bodies so again so we have two ways of this happening. So it's the emotional stress and then the, the stress based of, on the food and the things that we're consuming. Uh, so those two things, uh, they, they tend to be uh, combined for many of us. And so a lot of us are you know, stressed out emotionally and then we eat really badly. And, uh, and then this creates an even bigger uh, cortisol surge. And so then what happens is cortisol actually suppresses the production of progesterone and progesterone is, is known as the pregnancy hormone. It's needed for, it's needed to get pregnant. It's needed to maintain a pregnancy. And, uh, it's also, you know, it's very high in the period right before you get your period. And so what happens is, um, if we don't have enough of it, uh, we end up having higher estrogen, low progesterone, and that's what causes this anxiety and the depression and all these crazy things to happen. And of course, we'll have the high cortisol to go with it. So that, of course, is meant to to get us out of like a fight or flight situation. So we're in a place where we're so stressed, we're producing lots of cortisol, we don't have enough progesterone, and we uh, and then so we, we're freaking out essentially. So that leads to these emotional symptoms of PMS, and uh, and then the physical symptoms are usually brought on by the food that we're eating. So there's a lot of things that one can do to address uh, the, uh, the all of these symptoms with the food that we eat, as well as addressing the stress response or the the response that we have to stressful factors in our lives. Mm-hmm. That's, that's sorry. That was long-winded. No, that was wonderful. Really, (laughs) really wonderful. You see, people can always just rewind a little and listen to it again and take notes. Definitely. Um, So, so I, boy, can I relate to all that uh, that sugar crave and the whole bit? You know, had had all that, but I I was also always loved loved uh, desserts. I would do double whammies, pint of Haagen Dazs every night. You know, things like that. (laughs) <laughs> and you know it's crazy because I think that we, you know, we learn those habits as kids. That we're given something sweet for our birthdays. We're given something sweet when we uh, do well in school, or you know, there's always a reward. And so, as adults, it's a much harder habit to break because yes. sugar, of course, is really addictive, and then we associate it with feeling good. And yes. uh, so, but it doesn't, not so good. No, <laughs> no. And you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, this generation sort of knows that, but yes. it's such, I find um, uh, so many parents, you know, have, you know, being amongst parents, find it so difficult to shift that. Yeah. You know, it's I like. I see that too. And I'm not a parent, so I am no place to judge or say anything about it, but I do see that a lot. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. Like, like, uh, for, for us, we, we tend to have more fruits as the treats, fruits. And, um, like, uh, I make my own popsicles and things like that out of fresh fruit. So there's no added sugar yeah. or anything like that. I mean, that's already a lot of sugar. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Especially right? out yeah. here in California. You know, it's amazing what the fruit tastes like out here. Um, no, so jealous. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's it all like so oh, fresh. all those dried fruit is that's candy, sweeter than candy. <laughs> totally, it really is. I know people just don't realize it too. Yes, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's a, a very interesting stage, and um, uh, boy, I mean, ladies out there, I totally relate to having those sugar binges completely, and it's oh, really too. interesting how working on production, which you very well know. You know, we are there um, first thing in the morning before actors, before the talent, before everyone else. And then we're last to leave. 
Exactly. Um, right. And I yeah. know that I, I would tell people, you know, I'm usually not into donuts, but for some strange <sighs> reason, when I'm working on a production and I have to be on set by four o'clock in the morning, you better have that donut waiting for me at 530. <laughs> okay. Whether I be in front of the camera, or behind the camera, craft service knows have that donut waiting for her. And it's just a regular glazed donut with my coffee. I said, you know, you'd think I'm playing a police officer right now. You know? <laughs> But where's that donut? <laughs> and I have to tell you, That's what we do. to this me? day, yeah. to yeah. this day, okay, if I have to be up that early, there's yes. something about the rush that that donut gives me that pushes me through that day. It's a weirdest psychological... <laughs> crazy you know, conditioning, right? Crazy conditioning. You know, so this whole donut thing with police officers, I kind of got it, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, and, and the stresses oh that we're gosh, running into. I can so relate to this. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny, isn't it? <laughs> and, yeah. Um, so, I know, I know, it's just hilarious. So what do we do? I mean, what, what, what does, uh, what do we do? Like when you have women that say, I can't go to near the bakery aisle, I can't go near what would what do you suggest that they shift and how because it it's you can't it's hard going cold turkey oh it's oh it's impossible going cold turkey cold turkey is very difficult to do and uh and i've tried it many times and failed miserably ethically <laughs> <laughs> oh are you guys there still okay you can yeah. hear me okay good just checking uh yeah you know um there are a number of things and uh and my whole approach is is introducing uh really healthy nutrient dense foods uh and sort of crowding out that the the not so good foods especially the sugar uh and usually you know when your when your adrenals are depleted and you've been producing too much cortisol over a long period of time and they're sort of at the burnout stage usually that indicates you'll have sugar cravings. So to me, if someone has sugar cravings, it's usually indicative of adrenal burnout or, or high cortisol levels, something like that. And, uh, and then of course, um, if you're not getting, if you're not balancing your blood sugar at every meal, that is truly a sign that you're going to be, you know, you're going to be scarfing down a piece of chocolate cake at three in the afternoon. I was so that girl. And talk about that donut thing. I, I never, I've never eaten that kind of stuff in my life for breakfast, but on set, that's <laughs> exactly what I was doing. Cause I was stressed from the moment I got there. <laughs> so yeah, it was just one of those things. And, and so when you're, when you're stressed, you need to to feed that. And, and sugar is the easiest way to do it. It keeps you alert. It boosts your serotonin levels almost immediately. And, uh, and then of course you crash miserably and then you want some more. Uh, so that, then you end up on this roller coaster and that sort of sick cycle. Uh, so for me, I, I strongly recommend to all women and men too, to be balancing your blood sugar at every meal. And so what that looks like is, uh, having a good amount of complex carbohydrates, protein and fat, like good fat in each meal. And when, if you are, if you can stay full for four to six hours after a meal, then you will, you will absolutely know that you've balanced your blood sugar because if you haven't, then you're going to be starving and ravenous and wanting sugar or something else within a couple of hours. So that's usually, that's like how I, that's the test. That's how I tell people to what I tell people to look for. <clears throat> mm. And so, um, yeah. And you know, when you're having, so complex carbohydrates, these are things like quinoa or brown rice or something like that. I, I don't really in, eat wheat. I find that gluten really messes with my system. And for many women it does too. And, uh, I have found that once women take gluten out of their diet, they, they see a remarkable difference because gluten, if you have an intolerance, if you have any food intolerance, it's going to cause inflammation in your system. And if you have inflammation, it's more than likely you're going to have physical pain when you're having your period. So you're going to have painful periods. Uh, but once you take out the, that offending food, that inflammatory food, you're going, your, your reproductive organs respond well. And, uh, and they, they like you again, <laughs> they don't want to rebel. 
they're being nice to me. They're being nice to me again. But yeah, I mean, food is amazing. It, it's one of those things we, if we are, you know, sugar, like there's, here's a crazy statistic. Uh, women who consume sugar are 275% more likely to be having PMS, like crazy PMS symptoms. Mm. So if you, if you take, or you reduce it, I mean, if you cut it out significantly, then you're going to, uh, to definitely see a marked difference. And for me and many of my clients, they have. And uh, so, like I said, so you want to be balancing your blood sugar at every meal. You really want to be including a lot of fiber. So um, uh, when we are, when, when our bodies have enough fiber, obviously we're able to go to the bathroom more, more frequently, which is a good thing, especially for women, because our livers are primarily responsible for breaking down excess estrogen in our system. So uh, my mentor, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, she says, you got to use it and lose it for estrogen, which makes sense. So you use it and then you got to get rid of it. And so if we have any excess, uh, it causes, it's one of those underlying causes of PMS symptoms, especially the emotional ones. Uh, So when our livers break down this excess estrogen, it's sent to our colon to be removed. However, if we're all backed up and we're not going to the bathroom, that excess estrogen can be reabsorbed back into our bloodstream and then and create this estrogen dominance that a lot of women deal with. And so estrogen dominance will, will lead to a number of things. It can lead to endometriosis and fibroids because estrogen is one of those growth hormones. And so it'll, it'll continually stimulate your uterus and uh, overstimulate it. So it can lead to those conditions as well as the emotional PMS symptoms like anxiety and depression and, uh, you know, the panic attacks that some women experience. Uh, so, um, fiber, (laughs) fiber is key Mm. and, uh, and getting in about 35 grams a day. And, and that's really not that hard. You know, again, it's, it's really nutrient dense, leafy green vegetables, um, fruit, but fruit with nuts or a nut butter or something like that. So it's not too sugary for you. Uh, and yeah, and just focusing on whole grains. I mean, those, those three things really, uh, add up and, and you can get enough fiber in order to keep everything moving smoothly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we all want that. I know that. Love that. Um, yes. uh, uh, I had a question, but then and a question did come in for you. Um, okay. Nicole, what do you suggest for a young woman that is trying to get pregnant for the first time? Oh, yes. I get that question often. Uh, I would say if there aren't any underlying hormonal issues, uh, you know, first of all, coming off of any kind of hormonal birth control and, uh, you know, I really feel strongly that, uh, motherhood starts before you're, you've even conceived and it, and it starts in preparing your body and, uh, and being in the most optimal health for, uh, for this baby that's going to live within you for nine and a half months. And so I, you know, I'm a big proponent of doing some sort of cleanse, uh, and just like even a food-based cleanse where, you know, maybe for a week you're, uh, you're just doing vegetables and grains and, um, and just, and really, and like lemon juice, green juices, things like that. Uh, I think that when you cleanse your body, you're removing a lot of toxins that have built up over time. And, uh, and of course your baby is going to not only take the good stuff from you, but it'll also take the bad stuff. Many babies now are born with over 200 different chemicals found in their umbilical cord um, blood, and uh, and that's because of our chemical exposure. So I'm a huge proponent of of doing some sort of cleanse before you get pregnant. Also just uh, eating again, like eating to balance your blood sugar because you want to, you want to be able to stay, uh, basically I have a health as healthy as you possibly can. So you want to be as healthy as you possibly can when you do decide to get pregnant. And, uh, so balancing your blood sugar, getting in lots of fiber, eating tons of leafy green vegetables, uh, things like that. And, you know, again, like having good quality protein in your diet too. A lot of people uh, don't get enough protein sometimes. And so then that leads to like sugar cravings. I mean, reducing sugar, caffeine, uh, dairy, even dairy as well has been implicated a number of times in, in reproductive health issues. A lot of the time when women cut dairy out of their diet, especially conventional dairy. So we're talking about pasteurized, homogenized, uh, regular dairy, uh, it, they, they end up, uh, having a reduction in things 
like endometriosis and all these other uh, conditions that can be caused by, you know, wacky hormones. So those are the main things that I would recommend for somebody who's trying to get pregnant. And even if you're not trying to get pregnant, I kind of still recommend them. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, oh, that, that sounds like what we all should be doing anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, from, as they say, you know, what, what we make in inside us is uh, what we're, what we're made of. So clean up ladies. <laughs> I mean, our, the food that we're eating now yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, you know, I learn this all the time. I'm constantly relearning this, but what we are consuming now affects our genes. And, you know, there's this idea of the concept of epigenetics where uh, what we are eating and the way we're living our lives has a profound effect on our genes and the genes of our children. So we need to, I mean, talk about ha- having an effect on generations that come after you. What you eat now is going to definitely impact your child's genes as well as your grandchildren's genes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. We also, we had an interview with uh, a naturopath. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't quite remember which episode that was, but uh, Dr. Nick Bitts, and he has gotten quite deep into environmental medicine. So it's not even just what we're putting in our bodies and, and what we're doing, especially what your comment that you just made about the number of chemicals they're finding in the umbilical cord now. Boy, that'd be interesting to test. I mean, no. <laughs> you know, so exactly. in the environment. Um, I know. Isn't that frightening though? Yes. I Even mean, our mattresses. And he was talking about mattresses and, and uh, you know, taking the shoes off before mm-hmm. people walk into their homes, which being Asian, that was a, that's, I live my life like that. So that's okay. You know, <laughs> that's but, normal. Yeah. But, you know, but here you are in New York City, uh, you know, all the, I mean, I tell you from the things that drip off of uh, air conditioners onto the streets, you know, what we're <laughs> exactly. trekking okay. into our homes is, uh, it's really, you know, um, it's quite frightening to a certain point. I don't oh. want to say oh. that necessarily because create another level of fear, but it's really creating, we want to create another level of awareness of what's out For there. For sure. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, absolutely. You want to, yeah, I don't want to scare people. I really want people to be empowered in their own knowledge and know that they're not helpless in this and that they have complete control over their lives and over what they, what they put in their bodies and what they're exposed to. I know like I live in New York city, so I get that I'm going to be breathing, not the cleanest air. And I, so I'm okay with that, but I really try to make up with it. You know, I have a natural mattress and, uh, because again, you know, the, mattresses are formulated using formaldehyde and lots of plastics and all these different chemicals. And then you're going to sleep on that thing for a good five to 10 years. So a lot of people say, well, you're, you can't sleep or you have uh, you know, you have some kind of sleep issue because you're and headaches and things like that, because you're sleeping on a bed of toxins. So again, it's just a matter of educating yourself and especially women with uh, the personal care products. I am a huge proponent of using as uh, many natural personal care products as possible, especially the ones that you would put on your body, like body lotion and shampoo and conditioner. Those are the main ones that you want to just work to replace because you're, you're constantly exposed to, to those. And, uh, there, I think something like 500 chemicals that we're exposed to, the average woman is exposed to before she even leaves the house in the morning, just from her personal care routine. Oh my. (laughs) I'm totally depressing everybody now. (laughs) Well, I'm hoping that I'm not of the average. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of crazy. I mean, but you know, again, it's just a matter of being aware and, uh, and just making shifts slowly, but surely. Yes. Yeah. I love it. It's like we can go on and on with all the things that we have around us. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Totally good. It's crazy. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, what, yeah. What we're we're talking about women and how to rebalance hormones and things like that right now. Um, um, but honestly, it does affect men in the sort of the same same way. I mean, mm-hmm. they're human too. Is hormonally a little different? But I don't find as many men consume as much sugar. <laughs> Yes, I know. <laughs> in a different form, you know. So um so as far as like like the sugar cravings are concerned, I mean, I, I don't hear a lot of people more and more so now that where they're going, Oh, I really need those greens, you know. <laughs> I know. 
Here in California, I hear that a little bit more often nowadays. You know, I'm and for me, I'm one of them. It's like, forget it. I need a salad today. I really need a really green arugula salad. Yes. I can totally relate to that. Right? But it took me quite a while to get to this stage. I mean, it, okay. it's taken me quite a while to get to the point where I look at something and go, okay, you know, instead of having two desserts for myself or even one dessert. It's like, okay, we're getting a dessert and we're sharing it amongst four people. <laughs> if we even need to do that, right? Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Nicole, a question, um, uh, oh, well, a comment, I guess. Uh, thank you, Nicole. Just great information about making a shift away from so many toxins. Thank you. Oh. Yes. It is. It's a baby step. That's you've got to look at it that way. Otherwise, we'll all be overwhelmed and just give up all hope. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so would you? I mean, uh, one of the topics that I did want to cover was um, about infertility. Yeah. Um, because a lot of uh, people are being affected by that as well, and oh there my has gosh, been. It's it's amazing the numbers and and you know of course the list goes on about um how how certain uterine cancer breast cancer things like that are affecting women and and do you think it's all tied together in some way with you know the the stronger pms uh symptoms and you know the stresses and the low libido do you feel that that is tied in with the infertility that's happening the main cause of infertility in the U.S. And, and pretty much in the Western world now, it seems, is something called polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PCOS, it's known for short. And uh, and so PCOS is uh, is a condition, or it's a condition for many women that's caused by insulin resistance, uh, where we our bodies have become resistant to the, how, what insulin is supposed to do, which is basically take sugar out of our blood and transport it to our cells. Uh, and so what happens is this is brought on by years of not balancing our blood sugar. So that's that's why I mentioned the blood sugar balancing because it. Is key to to keeping our hormones balanced, and uh, so for so many women, uh, PCOS is always characterized by being overweight. But now, so many younger women have have been diagnosed with it, and uh, and they are they're thin. So they they call them not the typical PCOS. Uh, body type. Uh, so we can see now that it's clearly not only a condition caused by being overweight, it's actually a condition that's caused by just not eating correctly for our metabolism. Uh, so women who have PCOS end up with what they call cysts on your ovaries, and um, they call them the string of pearls because that's what it looks like in an ultrasound. Uh, but really what those are are just eggs that have uh, ripen to the point where they're almost going to burst out of the ovary, but then they don't. And so they mm. stay on the ovary. And, uh, and so you end up with these, these cysts, so to speak. Uh, and, um, and the problem is, is that when we have high insulin levels, so this comes back again, like I said, to the blood sugar issue, if we have high insulin levels. If women do, it actually, you're not entirely sure if, if the insulin, if it's a chicken or egg thing, but most for the most part, people think that high insulin causes our ovaries to produce more testosterone. We obviously don't want to have tons of testosterone when we're women. We want to have more estrogen and progesterone. So, uh, so that's like this leading cause. And so that it always, for the most part, comes back to, to the way we're eating and the way we're managing stress. Because high cortisol actually raises your insulin. It's meant to raise your blood sugar so you can escape from a dangerous situation. So none of us are escaping from any situations right now. We're just, we're just like stuck in traffic or something. So, so that's, that's definitely happens. New York have, City. <laughs> oh, oh my God, totally. I just, I don't know how people do it. I'm like, I'm just gonna walk everywhere. Thanks. <laughs> so, so yeah, we have it coming from both places. We have it coming from the high cortisol. It's raising our insulin, and then we're eating a donut for breakfast. <laughs> so. You know, and, and this is what happens. We end up with the high insulin from the food as well. And this has a profoundly negative effect on our ovaries and our ovarian function. And, uh, and so this can prevent us from, literally prevent us from ovulating. Uh, so, so that's a big part of it. Of course, you know, the cortisol issue, the 
stress issue is related as well because, you know, when we're in that alarm stage or that fight or flight mode, our bodies are shutting down uh, our reproductive function, our digestion, anything that's not necessary to survive right at that moment. And uh, so it's diverting everything to our brain and our heart so that we can, and our muscles so that we can run or fight or whatever it is we need to do to get out of this, this stressful situation. Uh, so again, we, literally a, a very stressful event can bring on menopause. It can prevent ovulation just because our bodies are, are not in a place to make babies. And, uh, and so that's, that's what's continually happening. It's the stress and then it's the, the eating to not balance your blood sugar kind of thing. And so we end up with this, it's like compounded basically. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, well, it's like, there is so much, I mean, there's so much to talk about now when you talk about sugars and balancing, um, the sugar in our diet, uh, of course, Mm -hmm. a lot of people think of, you know, the white sugar that we're all brought up with and and the sugars that we would add to, to things, which is for most people it's white. And a lot of people are getting more and more conscious about going into the raw sugars, into the agave syrups, into the, the maple syrups and, um, molasses and you know the people are try, attempting to make yeah. shifts now are you adding those natural sugars into this whole realm of cutting back on sugars i actually uh, i feel that agave is one of those that's really it's very processed and uh and it's very, very sweet so um so i do i really ask people if you know if they're going to have i mean we live in the real world if you're going to have something sugary make sure you've had you've had a meal first so that you're that doesn't have you know it doesn't go straight to your head because that's what will happen if you have it uh, on an empty stomach you're going to you know for many people who um don't eat sugar a lot or if they even if they do it's basically just it's having a really strong effect on your body so it's immediately being turned converted into sugar in your body and uh, going straight to your head and affecting your entire everything that your body does, all your bodily functions. Uh, whereas if you have a meal, at least you have something to to cushion the blow, so to speak. <laughs> uh, so that's one thing. But I also really think that you know sugar in general is incredibly addictive, regardless of what it is. Uh, some women are so sensitive to sugar that if they even have a piece of fruit, they need to have like some nuts or some maybe almond butter or peanut butter with, uh, with that fruit, because, uh, there's, there's too much sugar in the fruit. So you can imagine with, with regular sugars as well, like agave or molasses or honey or anything like that, uh, it's going to have the same effect. So I feel that sugar is sugar is sugar. And it's going to, uh, it's going to have that effect on you. And it's a matter of really paying attention. I think that's the other thing too. We've been kind of told to tune out to what our body is really telling us to the messages our bodies are sending us. And, uh, and that's really unfortunate because we're the only ones who can make the changes and understand what's going on in our own bodies. And if you aren't listening, then your body's going to continue to send you signals and, uh, and we're not paying attention. And, and that's, that's really detrimental in itself. So I think for many women, it's a matter of, of turning back on the, or just turning back on to what your body is telling you. And so pay attention to how you feel after you've had this. Like if you are, uh, if you feel really, really excited and, and just, after you've had sugar and then you feel a crash an hour or two later and you know that you've probably had too much sugar and so it's a matter of just reducing and um again like having smoothies i think smoothies are an amazing way to combat those kinds of sugar cravings they're for me they've been a lifesaver and just a matter again of there's lots of resources online for making great smoothies and so that's one way to to combat sugar cravings and there are other things too you know like a square of dark chocolate it's not going to kill you and uh you know Again, uh, just it's all about uh, not going to the point where you're going to have this huge sugar like spike and then crash, basically. Right. Mm, okay. So, ladies, you've heard it. Even natural sugar, be aware. <laughs> you know, yeah. Sorry, girls. <laughs> um, and it's very interesting that you were saying about agave being so processed, because that's another area that a lot yeah. of people don't take into consideration, like. Like honey, uh, you know, if you say you're doing raw honey, they do well, unfortunately. Say again, sorry. Can you say that again, uh, Nicole? Sorry. Oh, no, I was just 
saying with agave, sorry, I was just saying with agave, you know, there's really good marketing. So we're led to believe that, that it's, uh, that it's good for us or that it's a better alternative. But like I said, you know, again, this is, if you look on the back of, uh, just look at the ingredients, if anything is over nine grams of sugar per serving, then you want to be really cautious with it. Mm. That's how I look at it. Oh, anything over nine grams of sugar. Per serving. Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah. Anything over nine grams per serving. Mm. Yes. Anything over nine grams per serving. Uh, you want to just really consider limiting it. Mm. Well, now they're coming out with like coconut sugars and, oh, I mean, just a number yeah. of things now. <laughs> I know. I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Uh, you know, I think coconut sugar is okay. I think it's definitely lower on the glycemic index than yes. many other sugar alternatives. Yeah. And then also, I'm a huge proponent of coconut butter. Mm-hmm. I just love coconut butter. It's it's literally the coconut all ground up, and you live in California, so I know you know what it is. <laughs> but a lot of people but, don't. Uh, for a lot of people... Yeah, they know. and um, it's such a great alternative. You can you can use it. I use it in my smoothies to make them a little bit sweeter. Sometimes, I mean, and I sometimes I just eat it by the tablespoonful. And uh, you know, coconut butter is one of the great. The whole coconut, and it's it's delicious. It's very low in sugar, so it's one of my favorites. Oh, there you go. Mm, coconut butter Good substitute. I know it's there, a mm-hmm. lot of that's coming out. The coconut sugars, the butter, the oils. It's uh, pretty amazing what they're coming up with these days. Um, Nicole, uh, we're, we're coming to the top of our hour. Um, what would you, what would, like, if, if you could give women a list of three to five points just to become aware of those, of shifting in a step-by-step mm-hmm. process, what would those points be? Right, so the first thing is, is that, I really, I want people to to really pay attention to how they feel after they eat. I think that that's the main goal here. Uh, food affects everything. It's so powerful, good and bad. So the first thing is to to really pay attention to how you feel after you've eaten a meal or a snack or anything really, and uh, and make a note of it even. So the first fifteen minutes, and then like an hour to two hours after you've eaten. So that's the first thing that I think everybody should be doing to understand how food really affects them because we're all different. We're all individual. And, uh, and if we know what works for us and what doesn't, then, then we have so much power to, to affect change. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think is like I was saying to really work to balance your blood sugar. And so again, that includes, uh, complex carbohydrates, a good quality protein, uh, and then, um, a lot of vegetables. So a lot of, and, and good fat. So good quality fat in uh, each meal and, uh, and working to, to keep your blood sugar balanced, uh, having with each meal as well. And even each snack, if you do, um, because again, that'll keep your mood stable. That will keep you from grabbing at whatever at 3 PM, because I know that lots of people have this 3 PM thing where everybody's wanting to eat cake or cookies or whatever is in front of them. So again, keeping your blood sugar balanced with each meal with protein, carbohydrates, and fat. Uh, the third thing I would say is when it comes to stress, uh, you know, there's a million things out there for stress. And so I feel like so many women are more sort of addicted to, uh, the struggle or the, the challenges of life and maybe taking a step back and creating a do not do list or, you know, just focusing on what it is that, you know, one thing that we can take off of our plates uh, if there's something that you feel really will deplete you and deplete, deplete those precious adrenals, then you want to focus on, uh, seeing how you can maybe do it better or work like working smarter, not harder kind of thing. I'm a huge proponent of that. Uh, so that's the third thing, just really starting to look at all of the different responsibilities you have and seeing what, you know, what, what depletes you and seeing how you can, how you can shift it and maybe do it differently or try not do it at all. Uh, I know that's very difficult, but it is a, it's a good place to start. Um, and then another thing I would say, uh, when it comes to, to, uh, food and, and things like that, that is to, to really think about how, um, 
you know, like what it is that you want. So sort of having a vision, I think that that's, you know, that's something I do with my clients, like creating a vision of what it is you want your health to look like. If you want a baby, then, you know, creating that vision, even creating a vision board of what you want your life to look like, uh, your physical health, your emotional health, uh, and, um, and working towards that by, by only feeding yourself good things and exposing yourself to positive things. Uh, you were subjected to a lot of negative things, news media, whatever it's, it's all not so happy out there in the real world. So I think just, uh, creating a positive environment for yourself is, is really key to, uh, to having what it is that you want. Um, whether, like I said, it's, you, you want to get rid of that PMS, the PMS has sort of been an issue for you for 10, 20 years, or, uh, you want to have a baby or whatever it is at the end of the day, you, uh, you're the, you're the one who's in charge and, and you can, you can make it happen, but it's just a matter of having a vision of what it is that you want. I think that that's really important as well. It's a little out there, but I think it works. <laughs> That's a great list. <laughs> Don't get overwhelmed, everyone. It's just a, yeah. it's just a list. Just check them off one by one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow, this has been a great moment with you, uh, Nicole. We really, we really appreciate you mm-hmm. sharing, you know, your expertise in this area. And I, I know that we can continue, like we could get part two and part three because we could delve into the minute minute areas as well but this has been really wonderful thank you so much for honoring us oh thank you so much i am so grateful that i've been on the show today i really appreciate being able to share this time with you and all your listeners yay (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you and of course we'd like to thank uh segovia and the yoga hub team for making it possible for us to even do this And we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us on this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live on Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 Eastern, Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. And for those of you who would like to leave us a comment or some suggestions, um, please, we invite you to call in to our number here, which is 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Thank you so much. And until we meet again, namaste. Namaste.